It's Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to read just one verse. Verse 4. Ephesians 6, verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Lord, would you take a short verse and make it grand before our eyes this morning? Would you show us the depth of what you have called us to as parents? We ask your spirit be working to reveal to us the truth of Christ and help us to follow after him. In his name we pray. Amen. So as we close out our series on uh, recovering the biblical family, this this is our last Sunday um, to be looking at this. We're actually finishing by combining the two roles of husband and wife coming together to fulfill the very thing we began looking at, and that was the first commandment given in Genesis to be fruitful and multiply. In other words, to raise children. And as we approach this topic, um, just a couple things in way of introduction, really short, that I want us to consider before we look at Ephesians 6, 4. And um, the first thing is when we consider parenting as raising kids, I want us to know and understand that it's more than just raising kids. And it's more than just raising good kids. We, we cannot have that view as parents and grandparents that we're just trying to raise good kids. That's a, a temporary point of view. That's a worldly point of view. We, as parents, are caring for eternal souls. Eternal. We are raising not just children, but image bearers. As my wife says very often as a reminder... When we parent, we ought to be parenting in a way that we're storing up treasures in heaven. Right? Parenting, you can do it in a way where it's only uh, storing up treasure on this earth. But we, as Christians, ought to be doing it in a way where we are thinking heavenly and eternal. And the second thing is I want everyone that can hear me, to understand that this sermon matters to you. Everyone. 
children, parents, grandparents, adults without children, whatever your situation is, this topic, this sermon is of importance to you. And you might be thinking, well, why? Well, if you don't have kids and never have had kids, uh, but you're a part of the family of God, understand that the way that we raise up children in the church and minister to children in the church comes directly off of the back of how we are to raise our kids. Uh, Maybe you're a grandparent and you don't have kids at home anymore. Well, being there with with your kids to help raise their kids from the same perspective with the same goal and the same view is beneficial, is greatly beneficial. Um, And there might be some in here who will be parents one day who are not. So let's look at the passage. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So the way we're going to approach it this week is we're going to begin with the end. The last three words. Of the Lord. Of the Lord. Now, as we think about parenting, and this is what how I, how I want you to begin to always think about it, is that parenting, raising children, rearing children, is an eternal work. Right? Uh, it's an eternal work. And so when we read a verse that says, this is how you are to... Rear your children, raise your children with discipline and instruction or nurture and admonition. It's very easy for us to just forget of the Lord. And I just want to let you understand that if you do not take the perspective, you do not approach it with those last three words of the Lord, your work is in vain. It would be like running on a treadmill. Because you aren't given, none of us are given children to raise them up to be good people. We're given children to raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The discipline and instruction of the Lord. We're raising image bearers. But we've, we've got to understand how we're beginning this process. When we bring an image bearer into life, into into being, they start from a disadvantage point, right? I mean, they're your kids. We know they start from a disadvantage because we started from a disadvantage. And our parents and our grandparents, all the way back from Adam and Eve, we have inherited something called original sin. And so as we parent... We're parenting in the understanding of original sin. Not just be a good, polite little Johnny. Or I want you to become a really successful little Susie. No, we come at, we come at it understanding that they will die and stand before the presence of the Lord. 
And you, mom and dad, are there to usher them to the presence of God. As I, your pastor, hope to proclaim, warn, and teach, and do everything I can with in all my might that the Lord gives me to usher you into the presence of the Lord whenever that day might be, to watch over your soul. Parents, that is what you're doing at home. Of the Lord. So we use that phrase... We use Christ as a band-aid, right, as a way to solve our problem. But what we have to understand, and this is the magnitude of those three little words, that Christ, or of the Lord, isn't a band-aid, but he is our life support, right? You can't just throw of the Lord on, on the end to make sure that you've covered all your bases and that you're doing it the right way. No, you have to understand that all of it is coming from the Lord, for the Lord, and by the Lord. Christ is not our band-aid. He is our life support. Flip over a page to Ephesians 2. This is how your children enter into the world. And you were dead, dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. This is how our parenting must start. And understanding that our children are dead in sin and trespasses. Verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive. There's that life support. Brings us out of the grave together with Christ. Apart from raising your children in the Lord and them being in Christ, they They are dead while they are alive. John, John writes, as he writes the words of Jesus in John 15, he says, Abide in me and I in you. You cannot bear fruit unless you abide in Christ. Now, I want us to think, adults, not just be thinking about this for our children, But you must be thinking about this for yourself. For parents to bring their children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, you must be of the Lord. Now you're thinking, well, that's very obvious. But you must, you must see Christ as your life support. You must be abiding in Christ. Because apart from abiding in Christ, your work is fruitless. Parents, you must be a child at the feet of Jesus. You must always be in awe. 
You, you've seen that, those kids look up at dads and grandpas with just that, that awe face. That's how we, as adults, should always be looking to Christ. In awe. Captivated by His presence. By who He is. Looking to Christ, adults, with childlike faith. You... We want to have an impact on our children or on anyone else. You must be looking at Christ with a childlike faith. You must be living in awe at the feet of Jesus, receiving his word like spiritual milk from a nursing mother. What happens if you're cut off from that milk? You're like, Life is cut off. So parents, the most important thing you do in parenting is pursuing Christ in front of your children. Grandparents, same thing. The best thing that you can do for your kids is that they can see you loving, living, and longing for Christ. You want your kids and your grandkids, when they hear the verse... There's something that says, a man found a treasure in a field, and he went and he sold all he had to buy that field. And you want your kids and grandkids to think, that's my dad. That's my grandpa. As they grow up, they remember seeing you all in for Christ. You want your kids to grow up And saying, I remember seeing my mom's love for Christ and how she lived her life for Christ. How my longing or how I saw my dad's longing for Christ and his devotion to the word of God. How he was always in scripture when I got out of bed and I could see my mom's longing for Christ when I heard her tear filled prayers. We want our children to remember this. And to see that, that we are of the Lord, that we find our life in Christ. Now, if you think about it in the negative sense, and I'm building on something so you can understand a very, very important truth that Christ brings out, but has application for all of life, all of the world, whether they are followers of Christ or not. Consider Jesus' words out of the Gospel of Luke. We won't go there. Uh, But he says this. Can a blind man lead a blind man? And he says, will they both not fall into a pit? That's parenting without Christ. That's parenting with you trying to do it by yourself. On your own. With the world's help, maybe. Parents without Christ, you will lead your children into the same pit that you are going to fall into. You might be able to train them to have good manners, to be polite, to even know Scripture. But if they don't know Christ, and if you don't know Christ, and I mean really know Christ. Like 
Like Paul says in Philippians 3, how he wants to know Christ. Turn, uh, turn to Philippians, a couple pages to the right. And I want you to see what someone with true sight can do. And how they will lead others with them. Someone who truly knows Christ. Philippians 3 verse... Start in 8. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, Christ Jesus' sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. That is not a blind man. That type of man or that type of woman that can see Christ, that knows Christ in that way, will lead their children to Christ. That type of parent knows the goal in life is knowing Christ, becoming like Him, and ultimately being resurrected with Him. And when they know the true goal, they take the right path that Christ laid before them. And here, and it's in verse 12. Not, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect. This is, for, this is for us parents. But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on. It takes effort and work, parents, adults. To follow Christ. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those who let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything, if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have obtained. Verse 17. Here it is. Here's the parenting aspect. Brothers, join in imitating me. Here's what I want us to to really, truly understand. If you don't understand anything today, parents, grandparents, aunts and uncles, we must realize that the best parenting we can do is to be an example that they can imitate. And do you want to know why? Because regardless of what you do, they will imitate you. It's not an if or when, or if it's not an if, but a when. Children imitate their parents, no matter what. Even when we tell them not to, but yet say, but act a different way. They're gonna act like what we act like. 
Jesus finishes his statement back in Luke 6, what I was talking about, the blind man leading the blind and both falling into the pit. He says, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when is fully trained, will be like his teacher. That's what we are as parents and grandparents. We're teachers to our little ones. Now, side note. Please consider that truth when you send your kids off to school. Okay? When you put them with someone else. Remember that you might have some extra training to do. If that is what, if your kids are being taught from people that do not have sight. You must be, parents, what you want your kids to be. Because they're going to grow up to be like you, more than likely. And you all know it. You've all experienced it. And you said, I just sounded like my father, my mother. Don't, hopefully your spouse didn't say that to you. When your little ones know Sorry, let me back up for a second one. When your little ones break a lamp and you get upset about it and you're upset because you've told them over and over again that they shouldn't get rough in the house and you're angry and loud, you think you're teaching your kids two lessons. And you are teaching them two lessons. Don't be rough in the house and don't break valuable things, fragile things. But you're actually teaching them one more lesson. How to be angry. That's really what they're going to pick up. Whether we, we want to communicate it or admit it or not. Parents, you are the greatest influence on your kids I mentioned last week that husbands must always first evaluate themselves as the head if they see any issues in their marriage or, or with their, their spouse. Well, for parenting, it's no different. Uh, I would say it's even more true for parenting. If your child is struggling, the last thing we should do is to probe them to figure out their defect. The first thing that you should do is evaluate your own life, your own behaviors, and the potential that you might be misleading them. Now that doesn't take away the guilt if a child is in sin, but mom and dad, you are responsible. All right, we... We have a we have we have this thing in, in in our world nowadays where when we see kids misbehaving, 
we, we tend to think negatively of the kids. But really what we have to understand is that the parents are responsible. And that should weigh heavy on us. But that should also give us a little, uh, show a little grace with children, right? And I'm so thankful that this church shows grace with children. Um, One last example. Um, So our desire to raise obedient children and to do what we must... um, to discipline, like we want to discipline our children in order to raise obedient children because we know that correction is good. The scriptures tell us that discipline and correction are good. And we do it with the hope that when we teach them with discipline for correction, that they'll understand that it's for their good. And we usually tell them that, right? This is for your good. It's because I love you. But here could be a problem. If we as parents rarely, if ever, show our kids that mom and dad don't need correction, then we're leading them down a way of hypocrisy. We're teaching them hypocrisy. Let me give you an example. You're getting ready for bed. The kids start fighting and their anger and their anger is escalating and you tell them, We don't let our anger get the best of us in this house. And then, just to make it better, you quote James, right? The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. James 1.20. You even throw the address in there. All the while, the kids are thinking. And the youngest youngest thinks, "Uh, I remember when I spilt that milk yesterday. And you got pretty angry. Now they're not saying it. But they're thinking it. And then the other one. Is remembering in their mind. The anger that was being. Shown between mom and dad. The other day when they were driving on that road trip. And got lost. And so. We give the lesson. And the correction. But we as parents have to be willing to say even mom and dad need correction. Not from the kids. Let's make sure that's correct. We understand that. Kids do not correct your parents. But we must show that we need forgiveness. We as adults fail. We sin We get angry. We want our kids to learn to love and submit to authority. And show them how mom and dad submits to authority. Right? Because you want them to respond to your authority. But dad, don't grumble about the authority that you're supposed to submit to. Whether it be government or church. Right? Those are the areas 
that men you must be always considering subjection to. And wives, you can do the same as well in submitting to your husband as Peter had told us last week. You want to teach your kids to be slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to anger. I'm going to say that again. You want to teach your kids to be slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to anger. I don't have to say much about that, right? We need to learn to be slow to speak. Quick to listen. Slow to anger. Kids, get away. I told you, get away. We must remember that they will imitate us. To fail in this way is to disobey the command at the beginning of verse 4 of Ephesians 6, 4. Do not provoke your children to anger. And if you take the time and look at the parallel passage in Colossians 3, he says, Paul says the same thing. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. So if we, fathers, mothers, grandparents, if we're to teach our kids responsibility and desire to see them taking it, Let's make sure that we are holding ourselves responsible. We hold up these this level that we aspire, that we, we want our kids to aspire to be. And when we sin, when they don't hit it, it's hypocrisy. That's a failure. As a parent, it's a failure as a Christian. I want to quote um, from a book uh, written by Doug Wilson, a pastor who's been a tremendous help for me in the area of family and parenting. And he says in the same, I already, I already made this quote a couple weeks ago when I when I said that a husband always should speak to his wife with courtesy and affection, on well, the next sentence he says this, fathers, and this should go to mothers as well, but, but even more so fathers, should never lose their temper when correcting the children. Fathers should never lose their tempers when correcting the children. And we... We know, we know that God, the Father, disciplines us, His children. Hebrews 12. We know this. But He does not do it in sin. He does not do it in sinful anger. He does it out of love. And we cannot say with the tone of anger, a spirit of anger, I'm doing this because I love you. Those two things do not go together. 
do not go together. We discipline, and that includes spanking. Never in anger. Never with a temper. Because that turns into punishment, not discipline. And I want to I want to convince you to not use that word punishment in your house. Christ has taken our punishment. Okay? We want to lovingly discipline our children. Correction. Instruction. Training. Not high-handed anger. Now, for those who want, want to put that in practice today, if, if you're in a place, if you need to discipline your child and you are angry, then you put a little bit of space in between. Not a lot. A little bit. Enough for you to cool off. And go in, ready to discipline, knowing that you're going to accept their forgiveness when asked. Hug them. Tell them you love them. And pray with them. You do that. You have that mindset. And that's going to... It's going to put out that fire before you go in. But if, fathers, mothers, you sin, always confess your sin to your children. If you sin against your children. If you sin against your spouse in front of your children, you confess your sin, not just to your spouse, but even in front of your children. So, what's our aim? What's the purpose of Ephesians 6.4? What are we after? What are we after with our kids? Moving on, and this is going to be closing us out. We're not after our kids getting saved. Only. We're not after them being good little children. Only. We are after... A fullness of salvation. A fullness of salvation. A full a salvation of the heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's what discipline and instruction of the Lord bring to us. It is of the Lord we realize that one of the motives that we are after, one of the motives that we have in parenting is salvific. And so if I ever use the word salvific, all I'm saying is leading to salvation. Okay? Part of parenting, uh, I should say, one of the main motivations is salvific. To do otherwise would be foolish, which we've I've already made that point. To do otherwise is just, just to remove the eternal from your house, from your children, and it's as if you just remove God from the entire equation. 
We realize our children are eternal. We realize that when we when the Bible says that God commands all people everywhere to repent, that even means little Susie and, and little Timmy. They are commanded to repent. We cannot forget that. They are commanded to fall before uh, Christ in humility by faith. Because little Susie and little Billy are going to stand before the judgment of Christ. And we want them to stand what? Covered by the blood of the Lamb. Justified by faith in Jesus. Washed by the Word. Cleansed of all unrighteousness. But not just that. We want our kids to love Jesus. We don't just want them saved. We want them to love Jesus. And that's a that's a problem that we can't get into. We can't have this. We just got to get everybody saved. No, we want everyone to, to as Paul says it, to uh, be presented mature in Christ. To love, live, and long for Christ all of their days. Um, we want them to love the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. We want their desires, their affections, and their thoughts to be consumed with Christ. That's what we want for our kids, our grandkids. So, uh, let's see. I just, let's, let's just look at Deuteronomy 6 again. I won't spend time in it. I just want us to read it again so we can get some understanding of what a home might look like that is after this. Deuteronomy 6. I want to start at one, and because I, I want I want you to see something. Is Moses is speaking? Okay, Moses is speaking to Israel. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you're going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God. But look who, you and your son and your son's son. So is all I want to say here, as we're raising children. We're raising the ones who are going to raise your grandsons and your granddaughters. We see that, right? If you fail to raise your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, and it's only by the grace of God this will happen, you have set them back. Your investment in your kids now, those who have kids... You're investing in your grandkids right now. Your sons and your sons' sons. We cannot forget that. And so as the world as the world is going in chaos and evil imposters are going from bad to worse, we can be ready for Christ to come. But we cannot take the position that we don't need to worry about our son's sons because Jesus is going to come back. What if he doesn't? He's coming back. You know what I mean. What if, what if your son's son's sons are alive 
And Christ has tarried. We cannot live in this, I'm going to sit back and watch the show. We have to be ready. We have to be working. And that's what Jesus says. When I come back, you better be working. You better be parenting. You better be thinking about your son's sons. Okay, I spent too long on that. Go down to four. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That is probably one of the biggest statements you'll read in Scripture. And we, we cannot, I don't have time to deal, to, Yahweh, our God, Yahweh is one. Meaning there's no one like him. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And your sons, and your sons' sons need to do this as well. Verse 6. And these words I command you today, these words that I command you shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, because we want them on their hearts. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise, do you talk about Jesus at home? Like, do you talk about his greatness, his beauty, his majesty, his blood? Do we talk about him at home? Because that's what he's telling us to do. Talk about our Lord. When? All the time. Eight. You shall bind them as the sign on your hand, and you shall, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes, and you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. You must teach Christ to your little ones. That is your duty, your privilege, your honor. Because there's no one like him. No one. That is a home, back to Ephesians 6, that is a home that is saturated. And we want homes saturated with the gospel of Christ and our teaching and our speech and our living and our actions and our eating and our sleeping. We prioritize Jesus. We prioritize the kingdom. We live for the glory of God. And if you're not doing that now and you want to start doing that, I'm going to tell you something. It's going to feel weird. If you're not doing it now and you're convicted to start doing that, it will feel uncomfortable. But go with it. And press into it. And someone's going to point at you and say, that's weird. You sing at your dinner table? You, you have a dinner table? That's weird. But do it. Let the aroma of Christ fill your home. So it will fill your hearts, your kids' hearts. Now, quickly, we can get this wrong. Especially this, the, 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 the salvation aspect. Because here's what we could do. We could be too easy or too hard. 
and I'm going to run through this quickly, so pay attention. Here's, here's how we get this wrong by being too easy with our kids. Especially, again, when I'm talking about salvation, justification, them, them following Christ. We, we could make it too easy when we ask the question, do you want to go to heaven, Susie? And she say yes, and then you come tell me, and I want you to baptize Susie because she wants to go to heaven. That's too easy. That's not right. Calling for faith without teaching kids about faith or about Jesus or what we're commanded to do in following him is dangerous. There are so many 30-somethings, 40-somethings running around our world today as professing Christians. Um, but if we examine if we examine their life, they would just look like an unbeliever. Because someone said, do you want to go to heaven, Johnny? And he said yes, and they got baptized, and then that was it. In this scenario, we shout from the rooftops, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord is saved, and then add, that's all you got to do. Don't ever say that. After you quote scripture on how to be saved, don't say, and that's all you got to do. That's not a biblical statement. In this scenario, we, we simultaneously forget to teach them that James says faith without works is dead. You, you, you can be saved and it doesn't matter. Here's, here's, the, here's the mindset. You could be saved and no matter what you do, it doesn't matter what you do after that. It doesn't matter how you live. Faith is important in this scenario, but repentance isn't, isn't ever heard of. In this scenario of easy believism, salvation is seen as an accomplishment like potty training or graduating high school. It's just steps to the successful life. When we raise our kids that way, you raise your kids not to love Jesus. And do you remember what Paul said about those who don't love the Lord? They be damned. When we raise our kids this way, we raise them with a low view of Scripture and a low view of God Life is their focus. The here and now is what they want. Eternal things don't matter. It's not even a category to comprehend. Now, here's the reverse. More likely the, the problem we might fall into. Too hard. Imagine the opposite, okay? We turn it around and we emphasize not faith, but the fruit of faith. We emphasize the fruit of faith. We tell our kids, you can't be saved because you still disobey. That would be like telling a drowning man, I'll save you once you get out of the water. In this scenario, we forget Romans 10. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Instead, we're looking for a perfect repentance. And I'll tell you right now, there's no such thing. And how do I know that? How should you know that? Look in the mirror. There's no such thing as a perfect repentance. 
We withhold communion with Christ and with the saints because we hold our kids to a standard we can't even keep. We have to beware of that. We have to be cautious of that. In this scenario, we discourage baptism because we don't see enough evidence or obedience in their lives. But here's the irony of it. If your kid comes to you and says, I believe I want to be baptized, guess what they're doing? They're being obedient to Jesus and the Word of God. What they ask Peter, what shall we do? And what did he say? Repent and be baptized. And I, I've been there. I understand this one. The typical response from adults is, well, I don't want to give my kids false assurance. And I get it. I truly do. I get it. But at the same time, you're willing to say that it's okay to keep your child from obedience and baptism and separating them from the fellowship of Christ and his body at the table. So which one is worse? False assurance or keeping them from communion with the Lord and his body? I'm not sure. So how do we fight... The fight against those, both of those is the same. The fight against the easy and the hard are the same. Number one, parents, never stop being a student of Christ. Never leave his side. Seek his truth. Ask him questions. That's what you do. That's what a good student does. Is they ask questions. You're like, how am I going to ask questions? It's called prayer. Ask him questions. Seek his truth and find it and he will answer your questions in his word. Follow him daily in order to become more like him, to love him, live for him, and long for him. Number one, that's number one. Number two, teach your kids to do the same. Take them along with you when you go to Christ. Show them how you pray. Read to them and teach them the answers that he has shown to you as you've went and asked him those questions. Teach them forgiveness by asking for forgiveness when you sin in the home. Love your wives, husbands. Submit to your husbands, wives. This is how we parent. And I'll just give you this real simple, real easy. If you want to keep in your mind what parenting is, and don't, don't, don't think it as the old 37-year-old and the oldest kid's nine, like I've got all the answers. I'm just trying to remove from Scripture what I can see. I'm working on this as much as anybody else. What is parenting? Let's just have this easy definition. Parenting is following Christ while teaching your children to follow Christ. Parenting is, teach, is following Christ while teaching your children to follow Christ. So I want to conclude by, by just helping us as a body, as a church, Ozarks Bible Church, to, to take parenting biblically and place it in the context of what we would call children's ministry. Um, number one, children's ministry is parenting. 
The church cannot take the role of a parent. The pastor cannot take the role of a parent. Bringing your kids to church is not enough. The church cannot replace your God-given role as a parent. Number two, ministering to children is not more important to ministering to parents. And you might think, well, but you have to understand. Churches get caught up in this reality that they have to reach the kids because they're the future. What about the now? If we, if you stopped ministering to the parents because you thought the future is so important, there will be no future. The time is now. Parents are the now. And if you get the... Here's another thing that we can't have in our mind. If you can get a child, you can get the parents. Well, that's not biblical. If I was going to come and talk to you, would I be look would I look at your arm and have a conversation with your arm? I would have a conversation with the head. Right? And you understand that the husband and the father is the head, not in just some sense that he's in front or the authority, but he literally is the head, the representative. You cannot now I'm not saying God can. But the common practice should not be save a kid to save the parents. Heaven forbid. You get a dad. You get a family. That's in the Bible. Read Acts. And that's what you see. Disciple a parent. You disciple a kid. You don't disciple a kid to disciple a parent. That kid's got no authority. You understand? You disciple parents. You are in turn discipling kids. Number three. Remember, this is for us as a church, and we're thinking about how we want to uh, be ministering to children. The church is to supplement. So this is how this is what the church ought to do. The church is to supplement and to equip parents to disciple and raise their children. In the discipline and instruction of the Lord. To equip and enable through preaching, teaching, um, one-on-one discipling, men's and women's fellowships and meetings, and resources. Now, how, okay, so if I'm, if I'm teaching and preaching up here, I want to be doing it in a way that I'm teaching and leading you to then go home and lead at home, to teach at home. So when you walk in the doors, adults, you're not here just to be, to just take in, but you're here to be filled so then you can give, right? Do we understand that? And and there are there, are hopefully, ways that we can. Structure and organize ourselves to help better you as parents or grandparents do what you need to do at home. Um, so we're going to we're changing things up just a little bit for our Sunday school classes, um, but it rolls out into basically everything else. And so 
We started this today, right? Started today, uh, and we've only got one book, but I'm about to order probably 15 of these. Um, and what this book is, is it's for homes and parents. Now, it's for younger kids, um, but it's a catechism, and it's memory verses. And so today, for the month, during the month of October, after the end, at the end of Sunday school class, or however they decided to do it, for the month of October, they're going to be uh, looking at question and answer number one. And I think it's, uh, who made me? And the answer is, God made me. And then they're looking at, they're going to be memorizing Genesis 1-1. And that every, for the rest of the month, and they got, they probably got that one down already, but that's okay. And they're going to go through this book, and I think there's like some 50, 60 questions. Anybody who wants to take these home, I'm going to have some hopefully next Sunday. Uh, I've already got, we've got six of these. This one stays, there's probably two of these stay here, so I've got about four more. I think Sylvia printed out. Um, so you can have a book, and you can have one of these charts that says this is how we're doing it in Sunday school class. You don't make it to Sunday school, that's okay. You know, come back next week, but you don't make it to Sunday school. You know what they were talking about, right? Because you've got, you've got the plan, and you've got the book at home. So use these resources and take them. Now, also on the back of the bulletin, if you look on the back of the bulletin, we, we're going to go ahead and keep also – that catechism question and memory verse on the back of the bulletin. Now, I'll say this and I'm be wrapping it up. It's underneath the other catechism and question and answer. That's for you adults. Be a student. Learn it. So we're moving from once a week to once a month. That one will be that's on the back of your bulletin. I think it's question 29. We'll be there for the rest of the month. Memorize it. And if you've got older kids at home, memorize it with them. Um, and so parents, adults, and children can be growing together. Now, last thing I want to say with children's ministry. It's not the church's job to make church fun for kids. Okay? Now, I didn't say there's a difference between fun and joy. You understand? There's a big difference between fun and joy. Uh, when we try to make church fun for kids so they'll come, at some point we got to tell them the truth. <laughs> Did any of y'all come today, adults, because it was fun? I mean, you go to Silver Dollar City because it's fun. Right? You come here. <laughs> I have some people. Eh. <laughs> Another name for that. We come to church for Christ. And we want our kids to. And they might think it's boring, but they're kids. That's okay. But as we're. Church is an hour and a half. When it's boring here, it might also be because it's boring at home. You have an opportunity to make Christ full of joy 
in your kids' hearts. There are so many ways to take the truth of Christ and the gospel and take it to your kids and it not just be uh, 2 plus 2 is 4. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But at the same time, it's good to know 2 plus 2, right? And it's good to know that God is 3 in 1, even if it isn't fun. Because, we'll finish. Second uh, Timothy 3. I'm going to prove my point. Look at chapter 1. Verse 5. I'm reminded of your, of your sincere faith. So Paul to Timothy. A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and now, I'm sure, dwells in you as well. Now flip over to chapter 3. Verse 14, but as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. Who did he learn it from? His grandma and his mom. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, bless the preaching of your word. Equip and enable all of us to participate in bringing image bearers up in this world. Be with the parents, be with the grandparents, be with our children and save their souls. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.